right. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast. This is the 76th installment, but I'm calling it volume number seven. You'll understand why in just a bit when our amazing guest joins us, and I'm not going to give away who that is just yet. Awesome weekend for me, Travis. I was down in Starkville, Mississippi, my first ever experience down there in Starkville, and what an awesome town and, and a passionate university and a passionate fan base who is so engaged. I was blown away. We got there to the SEC Nation bus. It was parked there just in the shadow of Davis Wade Stadium, Mississippi State's home stadium. And I noticed immediately at 11 a.m. or, or 10.30 a.m. on Friday that there were already tons of people out on this lawn called the Junction in camping chairs, hanging out, listening to music, tossing a couple back. And, and they had their tent areas already claimed. And at 4 p.m. on Friday, it's like a daggum stampede. It's like a bunkhouse stampede where people start to erect their tents and their and their tailgates and whatnot. Just a super cool environment. And by far the best crowd on Saturday morning for SEC Nation that I've experienced in my brief time on that show. They were loud. They were rowdy. They had them cowbells going. And it's an interesting time down there in Starkville. Joe Moorhead's only coached 19 games now. And people are impatient. They want answers. They want victories. They want relevance. They want all of those things that we as fans slash fanatics desire. It's hard to build a program, man. Dan Mullen did an amazing job in Starkville. They were number one in the country, man. Number one in the nation when Dak Prescott was there. And... What an amazing accomplishment. Of course, Mullen heads over to Florida where he's doing a tremendous job. And Joe Moorhead, the former Penn State offensive coordinator, comes over. He takes that job and he told McGee and me during the talking season chats with all 14 SEC head coaches back during the uh, summer that he was floored with what being a head coach in the SEC is. You sit down, you're watching tape on the game you just played, it's the best team you've ever seen, and then, oh my lord, you put in tape for the next opponent, and they just happen to be better than the team that you just played. And it's a learning process. And there's all of these rumors swirling around Joe Moorhead right now that he's the lead candidate to possibly go fill the Rutgers vacancy, which, of course, Chris Ash, one of your former Buckeyes, uh, was fired and, and so now they're in that, that coaching search moment and the rumors and the speculation and some reporting says that Joe Moorhead is the lead candidate. Feinbaum addressed it with him very bluntly, in fact, and nobody really gave up any information, but it's so hard to win in the Southeastern Conference. It just is. And, and when you look at the Big Ten East, that's a really tough league as well. To me, I, I kind of feel like the SEC West and the Big Ten East are, are quite probably the two most difficult leagues uh, in all the country right now. So be interesting to see how all that unfolds as we progress through the season. 
Uh, we're eyeing week 11. Is that accurate? I think. Maybe week 10. What week is it, Travis? They all run together, bro. Uh, I'm just trying to keep between the navigational beacons. And I want to just go back to Starkville for, for just a minute. The hospitality and the kindness. Week nine. This coming one's yep, week we're nine? Go, no, we're going into no. week, we're going into week nine. No, we're not. Yes. No. <laughs> yes. Good Lord, man. Okay. Week nine. My bad. And, and so I, I was so impressed with just the vibe in Starkville. And I think one reason why I was so impressed with it is it reminded me of Blacksburg a lot. It had a Blacksburg Clemson kind of feel to it. And, and Auburn, they, they, these towns kind of have a very similar type of feel. And I really enjoyed it. The people were so nice. And, and, uh, it was a tough one for the Bulldogs as Joe, Joey football and the Tigers came into town. I'm just floored with what they're able to do offensively right now in Baton Rouge. We'll be there this weekend for SEC Nation as the Auburn Tigers come to town with young Bo Nix, who's not so young anymore. He'll be starting his ninth game, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm impressed with what he's doing too. To be so young and so poised is not an easy thing. And that, it was funny because when they lost to Florida at the swamp, you could see that, that that crowd and the atmosphere and the constant blitzing from Todd Grantham, all of that added up to a very difficult day for Knicks. We'll see what happens with LSU because their defense has been not as great as what we expected. So can he learn from that Florida game? Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a unique experience for him because it's in Death Valley. Granted, it's a 2.30 Central, 3.30 Eastern kickoff, a day game, but nonetheless, I mean, it's still going to be loud. It's still going to be crazy. And the Pirates will be out. They'll just be out a little bit earlier. Yeah, speaking than of they those, were. speaking of those Pirates, I just want to let them know Marty can't accept shots at 6 a.m. So when you see him and you holler at him, he appreciates the offer, but he can't take a shot or a drink. So I just one of the just letting you fans the greatest know. moments I've had, and I know I've probably told it on the show before, but it's worth retelling. One year ago, I was in Death Valley for the Alabama game, and it was yet another game of the century type of build up. LSU was good, Bama was really really good, and it's five fifty in the morning. And I had a 602 Central, 702 Eastern live shot on Sports Center. Right off the top of the show, we're going to Marty in Death Valley. He's going to set the scene for us down there. And we are, what, 13 hours from kickoff, 14 hours from kickoff at that point. And I'm standing there and I'm just kind of going through my report in my mind, making sure I had all my bullet points in my mind ready to go. And this guy comes strolling across the parking lot. And I'm like, what in the hell is coming at me right now? And I say to Melinda Adams, my producer, I'm like, honey, turn around. I don't know what's coming, but let's just be prepared here. And this guy walks up to me, couldn't have possibly been nicer, dressed like Darth Vader. He had a megaphone in one hand and a handle of jack in the other. And he held that megaphone up to his mouth and he pulled that trigger and he said, good morning, Marty. Welcome to Death Valley. Want some Jack? And I fell in love with that dude. He offers me Jack at 5.55 in the morning. 
I think kickoff was at like 7.15 that night. And I politely declined. I said, brother, I got a lot of TV to make today. But you know the fastest avenue to my heart, that being Jack Daniels. And I appreciate your hospitality. I love that place. It's different from everywhere else. And Travis, you've been there. You can attest to that. You've seen it yourself. I don't care. Like the whiteout at Penn State last Saturday night, that is elite. I love that atmosphere. It's it's amazing, and they are always in it. Clemson, amazing. Virginia Tech, amazing. By the way, what a win for the Hokies. What a, what a win for the Hokies. Six overtimes. They beat Coach Brown and the Tar Heels 43-41 to in a dog fight. And that was a massive win for Justin Puente in the Virginia Tech program. They needed that win. They, they more than needed it. It was – The season could have spiraled if had they not gotten that I game. don't know if it saved his job. I don't know. That, that might be too dramatic, but I do know that – it was it was it was massive, man, and it was probably a season saver. I would say that that's that's pretty fair. The the, di- um, the difference with the LSU fans, while a lot of fan bases are loud, the difference is those fan bases don't bathe in Jack Daniels. It's just beautiful, and but to the Mississippi State well, thing though, pound for pound, they are just as good. They may not have the amount of fans, but like you said, they get after it. They are so loud. And they are so passionate. I need to look up what Davis Wade holds because it's not nearly as big as Death Valley. It holds 61,337. And them cowbells never stop. And you hear it the next day. It's still ringing in your brain. What would you do with your cowbell? And, uh, actually, I had to ship it home. So if y'all didn't watch SEC Nation, Coach Moorhead joined us. And I give him credit, man. I give him credit for joining us on the show. He came on the show. He answered all the questions that we had. My opening question to him was, how do you define this season? Because it's been difficult. They've lost. They're trying to figure it out. Now, they've had injuries at quarterback. Who knows how the season might have been different if Tommy Stevens was healthy the whole time. Of course, Tommy Stevens, a transfer over from Penn State. He already knew Coach Moorhead, and he's a really good passer of the football. And he gets injured. He's been banged up all year long. So Garrett Schrader, a kid from right here in Charlotte where I live, real tall, uh, just good moxie about him, tough as woodpecker lips. And they, they're still trying to figure it out. And he sat up there and he answered our questions. When he came on the set, he, he was funny. He had two cowbells with him. They were, they were maroon with, with white handles. And he handed them to Jordan Rogers and me. Because he had given Tim, Tebow, and Feinbaum theirs the previous day. And I was so honored that he brought me that. Uh, they're shipping it home to me because I couldn't, I didn't know how TSA would react to me having that thing in my backpack heading through the airport. See, I think you should have just carried it, just letting I think I should have just rung it all the way through the, the airport. Listen, I've seen people juggling at the airport. Uh, I've seen people on like harmonicas at the airport. You can, they're, there's no standards for the airport, Marty. I mean, you can drink at 6 a.m. at the airport. Yeah, but you can't bring weird stuff through TSA. I had a candle in my backpack. So, the again, back to Mississippi State being awesome. They These schools, I, I want to say this too. These universities are so hospitable when we come to town. 
every one of them gives us these amazing gift packs that are authentic to the town in which we're broadcasting. It's it's all local fair. Is that the right word? Is fair right? I don't know if it's right. I think fair might mean food, but it, it, it's they're all local products. Whether it's a candle from a, a local candle maker, uh, whether it's whiskey. When we were at Kentucky, I had the, the Kentucky folks gave me one of the nicest bottles of bourbon you can have, and I promptly gave it to our support staff. Uh, I have my reasons. Anyway, I appreciate how awesome everybody is. So they give us this gift pack at Mississippi State, and it has light up. How cool is this, Travis? It had Mississippi State Bulldog fake ice cubes that that you put in your drink. They were plastic, and there's a light, a blinking light inside the ice cube thing that's activated by liquid. That's pretty nice. Your mind's blown right now, isn't it? I'm thinking. Mine that, was. Yeah. I need the Ohio they State also version gave us. Same technology, but it was a little cowbell. I did bring that home, I think. I think it's somewhere in the depths of my backpack. But anyway, there was a candle in there, and I love candles. Most days, either we have a candle lit in the home or we are diffusing oil. Is that super hippie weird? Maybe, I'm but we act- like I'm that. F- I feel like I know you pretty well. I didn't, I've never known your affinity for candles, and I'm actually kind of stunned by it. I don't yeah, know, man, I don't know why. Them. Uh, we love them. And what's, what's your like go-to like kind of candle, like uh, smell or flavor? I don't know. We diffuse we diffuse oil more because of the health benefits of it, and we do that nearly every day. And in my in every bedroom in our home, we do it at night. Like with this, uh, it's called Thieves, and the reason that we do it, it smells like cinnamon, and it's a great combatant of airborne illnesses. How about that action? Wow. You learned today, I, I, didn't you, I'm, Travis? I'm shocked. I'm more shocked with this than knowing that it's week nine coming up. Yep. that's. Uh, I know it might be a little shocking, but my sister, Stacy, has been an advocate for it forever and ever and ever. And then Lainey, somehow Lainey got on it, and Lainey went and bought a, a diffuser, and we put the diffuser in our old home, and I fell in love with it. I just love how it smells. It makes everything smell great. And when there's all those health benefits attached to it as well, why not? We'll put like that thieves and we'll put eucalyptus because it, you know, opens up your, your nasal passage and all these different, different oils. There's lemon, there's orange, there's something called breathe, there's peppermint. We use all these different kinds and we'll even mix them together. Like at night, I mix all different kinds together because I want all these different health benefits in the air while I'm asleep. You're an oil, Isn't that mi- interesting? you're an oil mixologist. Yes, I am. So anyway, the can back to the candle. I have this candle in my backpack and I'm going through the airport and I'm telling myself as I'm getting to the TSA checkpoint, guarantee you they're going to pull my bag because of this candle in there because it was cylindrical and you know, it probably looked like something suspicious in the x-ray machine. And I'm like, all right, if they pull my bag, I'm not going to have time for a beer. I hope they don't pull my bag. Sure as the day is long, boom, they pulled my bag. I knew they were gonna, and I said to the lady, ma'am, I got a real good idea what you're, what you're looking for. It's in this compartment. You gotta open it up this way. It's a candle. And guess what, Travis? Alas, 
it was that damn candle. Did they let you keep it? They did let me keep it. She sure did. She let me keep it. Now, before we, we got it, we've been blabbing on and on. We got to get to our guest. But before we get to our awesome guest, I want to tell you guys about Zapier. When you're running your own business, your to-do list is never ending. You know you could automate many of the tasks you do, but you don't know how to do it. That's where Zapier comes in. Zapier is the easiest way to automate your work. It connects all your business software and handles work for you so you can focus on the things that matter the most. No more wasting your time on tasks that you know could be automated because that's exactly what Zapier was built to do. Just go to our special link, zapier.com slash Marty, connect the apps you most use, and let Zapier take it from there. Zapier lets you instantly engage with leads, send them to a CRM or spreadsheet, then notify your team so they can act fast on every opportunity. And that's just scratching the surface, y'all. Zapier supports more than 1,500 business applications, so the possibilities are basically endless. Best of all, it's easy to build the exact solution you need in just minutes without writing code or asking any developers for help. Join more than 4.5 million people who are saving an average of 40 hours a month using Zapier. Right now through November, try Zapier for free, zero dollars, zero cents. Just go to our special link, zapier.com slash Marty. That's Z-A-P-I-E-R dot com slash M-A-R-T-Y. You get your 14-day free trial, zapier.com slash Marty. All right, y'all, it's the pleasure of my month to bring in this guy right here. We have a real special guest today on Marty Smith's America, Jack Daniels Master Distiller, Jeff Arnett. Man, I can't, I've been waiting to talk to you for so long. I appreciate you taking the time today, brother. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. Good to be on with you. So just six other men in the 150-plus years of Jack Daniels have carried Jeff's title of Master Distiller, Jack Daniels, Tennessee Whiskey. When you tell people your occupation, how do they react? You know, it, it's I, I tell people all the time I walk in and say, you know, hello, I'm Jeff Arnett, and they kind of look at you like, okay, and then you tell them you're the Master Distiller, Jack Daniels, and then it's like, okay, uh, can I have your autograph? Uh, you know, do you need help? I'll taste for free. How in the world did you get that job? It's a conversation starter. You know, whether people are, are a fan of the whiskey or not, I think that's a, a pretty unique title, and clearly very few people have held it over the years. I was honored uh, to come to work at Jack Daniels at all. I, I started here as a quality control manager about 18 years ago, and uh, then there was an opening uh, to take over as quality control or as the master distiller here in uh 2008 so i'm serving 11 years now but it's been a great ride i've been to 41 different countries since then (laughs) wow when you go i i read a piece that when you go to these other countries you're going over there and you're telling stories about jack daniels what are some of those stories that you're telling jeff well you know i think first of all people are stunned because you know Jack Daniels is pretty widely distributed now. Uh, we, you can find it in 170 countries around the world, but uh, it, every drop of it is made in one place. And uh, you know we're a small town just south of Nashville, about an hour and 15 minutes uh, south. And um, every drop of it comes from the same uh, water source that Jack Daniel started with and built the brand on uh, 150 years ago. So I think when people realize that as big a brand as it is, how small it is at the same time, you know, people are maybe a little bit uh, 
have a hard time believing it, uh, if you will. But, you know, Jack's life was a pretty interesting one, simply that, you know, he never knew his mom. Uh, he was uh, a teenager by the time his father had passed away with pneumonia. So he was orphaned at a young age. I uh, went to work for his room and board on a neighbor's farm, and it was there he was taught to make whiskey. That became his life's passion. Uh, and from very humble beginnings, today Jack Daniel's name is, I would say, you know, household name. Um, and like I said, product sold in pretty much every country that allows whiskey to be sold. Uh, I think you'll find it there. When you think about the fact that you're one of only seven who've ever held that title and that job of the most recognizable liquor brand on earth, what do you think about? <laughs> well, you know, it is pretty special. It was three years ago we were celebrating our 150th anniversary. And so a big milestone year for us was 2016. We were founded in 1866. And that got me looking at it. And since 1866, there have been 28 U.S. presidents. Uh, there have been 12 popes. Uh, there have been far fewer distillers. But I often tell people that when you're the master distiller of Jack Daniels, you feel like you're four times better than the president and almost twice as good as the pope. <laughs> and that's just, do, that's just doing the math uh, on it. So, But it's definitely an honor. And I think it's an honor simply because I think the brand is, is so strong and, you know, it's a quality. I, I feel like with Jack Daniels, what you see is what you get. We're a very honest and authentic brand uh, in an industry that isn't necessarily always known for that. Uh, but being able to host last year, it was about 300,000 people who came from all over the world and took the tour here in Lynchburg uh, for them to be able to see that we do what we say we do uh, and engage them in that conversation, uh, but show them hospitality as well as uh, how a great whiskey is made. It's, it's a fun it's a fun industry to work in for sure, uh, and I'm honored to have this title. What tasks are the majority of your days filled with? Well, I oversee all the whiskey making for Jack Daniels, so that. 80% of my days are going to be here in the hollow, uh, which is a beautiful place. If you've never been here, I would encourage anyone uh, who's thinking about uh, passing through the area to, to take the time and stop. But uh, it's a beautiful time of the year here. But uh, So my office that's right across from the distillery where every drop of Jack Daniels is made. And we'll make sure that, you know, every day we make it, we make it the best we can. That was what Jack Daniels instructed his employees years ago to do. So I'm here to just make sure that everybody has what they need um, to make the best whiskey on the planet. Uh, in addition to that, I'll travel about 50 to 60 days a year. Uh, so that'll be all over the U.S. and also abroad. So I just recently got back from Brazil. That was my second trip to Brazil. And Brazil has become a, a market that, you know, 15 years ago would not have been in our top 20 countries, but today is is moving up through the ranks. So we have a, a developing whiskey palette uh, they're on the other side of the equator, so we want to make sure that people know as much about us um, as they need to to make a make a good choice for us. What's required of a whiskey maker that his drinkers wouldn't expect? My background, I think every master distiller comes to the uh, to the role in a different path. Uh, for me personally, you know, I'm a native Tennessee, and I grew up over in West Tennessee. Uh, I work for a food and beverage uh, manufacturer. Uh, made coffee, juice drinks. I made salted snacks. Through that career that I had prior to coming to Jack Daniels as the quality control manager, there were things that I was taught that I think have definitely helped me. Um, that we, I don't necessarily have to taste every product every single day, uh, but that is an important part of what we do here. Um, we have 600 production employees that make Jack Daniels for the world, and 100 of them have agreed um, to serve in addition to their normal day job uh, to also serve as an official whiskey taster. So training Tough that gig. group of people, 
yeah, so training that group of people to taste and what the standards of Jack Daniels are, we do it at every step of the process. We're checking something. Uh, we're tasting um, the new distillate as it's being made, then right after charcoal mellowing, and then years later, what's coming out of barrels. Uh, so there's a lot of tasting that goes on here. And tasting isn't drinking. <laughs> uh, you know, we cut it, uh, we reduce the proof, we kind of put it in the mouth, we rinse it around, we spit it out. It's sort of like doing a mouthwash, if you will. Uh, so that's one of the, the great disciplines you have to have to be a master distiller is that you have to be able to taste without swallowing it. <laughs> uh, how do you do that? It's it, tough. I mean, how's it get to like the back of your mouth? <laughs> well, yeah, you let it trickle into the back of the throat, but it's it's not enough that you would feel impaired. You know, I, I literally can taste 40 <laughs> or 50 barrels. I'll taste 40 or 50 barrels in the course of a day uh, working in the single barrel area uh, and won't feel, you know, that I've been impaired at all. I can get in the car and drive home because you do. We reduce the proof. We rinse it around. We spit it out. Uh, that's a discipline that you have to have um, to work in this industry for sure. What's taste? So so how do, if somebody goes to taster school, <laughs> what, what 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 is taster school? Are you teaching them how to do that without getting smashed? I think part of it is you have to have good form. So, you know, uh, nosing is a part of what you do. You can smell thousands of compounds. You only taste four basic types of flavors. Uh, I tell people it's just you want to have, like, uh, you'll want to repeat the form that you have. So if, I say if you nose one sample with your mouth closed, uh, make sure you keep your mouth closed on all the samples. If you have it open, leave it open. So don't introduce a variable a as you're nosing. Um, but actually tasting is a little bit more scientific than you might think. Um, there's only one flavor type that's random on your palate, and that's salty. Uh, you can detect saltiness pretty much anywhere it hits the tongue, but everything else is largely grouped. You have sweet taste buds on the tip of your tongue. You have sour on the sides and underneath your tongue. And then you have bitter taste buds located on the back of your tongue and throat. So what I tell our tasters here is it's not just what you taste, but it's where you're tasting it on the palate uh, that you should pay attention to because each of our offerings from Jack Daniels will have not just a particular flavor, but a location that it should be showing up or favoring. Um, so there is some science behind the tasting. It's not just, you know, I, when I go home, I, I'll still enjoy the product and I don't necessarily think about it. You know, I'm just enjoying it like anyone else would. But here, um, I'm always considering, okay, you know, if it's Gentleman Jack, is it forward in the mouth? Does it have too much finish? You know, single barrel, creamy, heavy, making sure it's in the range, big finish, uh, making a statement. Our old number seven Tennessee whiskey, is it as balanced as I expect it to be? It shouldn't be favoring any particular part of the mouth. It should feel very uniform when it's in the mouth, almost equal parts sweet and oak. So these are the things that we kind of go through here, making sure that from batch to batch uh, or from barrel to barrel uh, that we're putting out something that is not going to disappoint someone. How often is it perfect versus you're tossing it? <laughs> you know, but my standard joke, but well, I won't even get into that. <laughs> but, you know, people ask me what I do with my bad barrels, and I'll usually pick some other brand uh, that I'll tell them that's where I send them all to. But realistically, <laughs> but realistically, you know, when it comes to making whiskey, Jack Daniels covers more of uh, the things that have to come together to make a whiskey than anyone else. Because the biggest variable that you have is your barrel. Um, it's all of your color and it's over half of your flavor. And Jack Daniels uh, is not just a whiskey maker, but we're a barrel maker as well. So this takes some of the guesswork out of it. You know, some of the, you know, the randomness of what you're going to see uh, coming out of the barrel. Because we know, you know, when our wood was cut, we know how long it was seasoned. Uh, we know that it was prepared on the inside um, the way that it should have been. It's very difficult to tell a good barrel from a bad barrel from the outside. Uh, you literally had to have participated in its manufacture to know for sure that everything is right. So, you know, that is a, clearly a big part of it. 
But when we when we go to tasting things in our warehouses, I would say that, you know, typically it's not that we're asking ourselves, is it good or bad? But the question is, is it ready or not? Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a time over which it's sort of like brewing tea. You know, you can underbrew it or you can overbrew it. Um, and the time that we spend in the barrel is very similar to that. We're gaining color, flavor, complexity. Uh, there's a time over which you kind of enter into that window where, hey, it's achieving the balance and the level of character that you want, and then you don't want to go too far uh, because you get dark and bitter and less enjoyable to drink to most. So unlike Scotch whiskey that reuses our barrels and does it in a in a moderate climate, uh, we're in a warm climate, uh, actually a full four seasons climate. So we get very warm summers and we get cold winters. Uh, whiskey is expansive in nature, so it tends to work its way in and out of the barrel uh, in an exaggerated fashion here. But it doesn't get better forever. So always, it's ready or not, not good or bad in our world. So how do you drink your Jack? You know, I, I was a, a old number seven uh, Tennessee whiskey fan when I first got here. Uh, that was uh, I was in the fan club uh, of Jack Daniels, a word of mouth group that's called the Tennessee Squires Association. I'm in it, and and that was the brand that I drank. When I first got here, though, becoming quality control, there was an opening to take over single barrel. Uh, and single barrel is, I absolutely love single barrel. When people ask me, me which too. is my favorite uh, of our expressions, that's the one I'm going to point to. Uh, and I'm typically a rocks drinker because I say we have a four seasons climate here, but you know we have probably more warm days than we do cold days. And um, that can be one of the challenges of drinking a brown spirit is that it can warm you up even further. Uh, so I, I insist it's on high-quality okay. ice, but I, I'm a rocks drinker. I love our Jack Daniels single barrel. This is, I guess, one of the things I have in common with, with our common friend, Eric Church. He's a big single barrel guy as well. And, Trust me, I'm aware. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I met him about eight years ago when he picked his first barrel, and uh, he's gone through many barrels since. What do you think the, the impact on that relationship is, that, that you know, he's been such a staunch advocate of the brand? You know, I would say if you go back in Jack Daniels' history into the mid-50s, uh, there was a similar relationship with Frank Sinatra. Sinatra, and, right. And he, had, and he has a lot to do with, I think, why people know the Jack Daniels brand name today. He made it my household name by holding it up on stage and calling it the Nectar of the Gods. And he was a lifelong Jack Daniels drinker, was literally buried with a bottle of it when he passed away. Uh, and was it was he really? always He was. Yeah, so wow. his, uh, his, I've met all of his children and Tina. Uh, she enclosed three things in his casket before they closed it, and that was a roll of dimes and a pack of cigarettes and a bottle of Jack Daniels. Uh, and those are the things that she felt like were personal to him and uh, that he would want in there. So, uh, but yeah, then you get someone. But that was always a uh, uh, what I call a gentleman's uh, agreement um, that he just he loved Jack Daniels, so he he created a shortage of it. Uh, we couldn't make enough Jack Daniels from 1955 until the late 70s, early 80s. So about 25 years, uh, there was, you know, we were running off uh, the shelves. There wasn't enough product uh, to supply the world. So because of his endorsement? Because of his endorsement. That was the main thing that happened during that time frame. Uh, but we tried to make sure that he never went without. You know, if he was going to be doing a concert, <laughs> if he was throwing a party at his house. So that was sort of the way it worked is that we just – to thank him, we just made sure that he had what he needed wherever he was. And that's kind of how it's been with Eric. You know, he, he had let us know that he was a Jack Daniels fan. We could clearly see that with the songs that he sang and, uh, then just the person that he is, uh, that he was a, a true Jack guy. And he said kind of the same thing that he said, you know, we don't really want this to be some type of com- complicated contractual deal. I'm just a fan. And, you know, if you guys, 
uh, want to be on tour with me and here's how you can help. And um, so it, that's the way it works. It's just been a handshake agreement with him. Um, but, you know, we we love Eric. We've been a fan of his music for a long time. It's been great to be able to to go out and, and work together um, as he's built his own personal brand. And, uh, and Jack Daniels, you know, I think what Eric understands is that, you know, there will be a uh, his star has certainly risen. Uh, he's a great guy. He's deserving of, of it. Super talented, and he's worked hard to get it. Uh, and Jack Daniels will will be here. We were here before his success, and we'll be here after his success. Uh, but we'll always be friends. Uh, and that's the way it's going to be. That's the way it was with Frank. Um, we have other artists that we have a similar uh, arrangement with. That once we know that they're you know organically you know in, they're just inside. They're a Jack Daniels person. Uh, we do our best to take care of them from that point forward. So the Jack folks made me a squire in, I think, like 2004 or 2005. And the way that happened is very weird. <laughs> so my my great-great-grandfather was Dan Call. And Dan wow. Call is the uh, store owner yep. who taught Jack how to distill whiskey. And so I randomly said that somewhere and the folks at Jack saw it or it was brought to their attention that I said that. And it's funny, Jeff, because my grandfather was the preacher man in George Patton's third army. And I never (laughs) knew him to drink. I never knew him to drink one drop. And he didn't love how much I love Jack Daniels, but he had this unbelievable pride that our family was in some small way involved in that brand and that brand's awareness. Yep. And when my, and I, again, I never knew my granddaddy would take one sip, but he had the, he had a copy of that book that really lays out the Jack Daniels history and yep. his old tattered copy, the part where Dan calls mentioned and 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 Dan Call's influence on Jack is mentioned was highlighted like in nine different colors, man. Oh yeah, he was so proud of that. Yeah, that book is called Jack Daniel's Legacy, and That's it. Uh, it yep. was, yeah, it was written in the. I think it was released in 1967, same same year I was born, but it was recently re uh, re released. Uh, so there's been I think some renewed interest around it. But yes, you know Jack was orphaned at a young age, uh, ended up on the Call farm. Uh, so your great grandfather, great great uh, great great grandfather, yeah. And uh, of course, back in those days, uh, whiskey was seen as having medicinal properties. Um, so you go into a general store. Uh, there's not a pharmacy per se. There's just you know you might have an alchemist who works around the general store, and they have a medicinal whiskey base, and they'll take different herbs and ingredients and make different remedies out of it. So you know whiskey was seen you know not for just entertainment or. Uh, for social use uh, back then, it was uh, medicinal as well. Um, so uh, you you see that here as well uh, that we have people who uh, are bivocational preachers um, who have been cutting whiskey tanks for thirty five or forty years. So they preach on Sunday so and they cool. make whiskey through the week. Uh, it's just, you know, just what we do. So it's cool. what we do here. We do. Jack's following is unique. It, we're a tribe. People who love Jack Daniels are this cult. How do you define the Jack Daniels culture, Jeff? You know, it's hard to say that there is a prototypical Jack Daniels person, to your point. You know, we, 
there've been sayings that you know the Jack Daniels drinker is could be anywhere from a biker to a banker, um, mm-hmm. and we see that you know everybody from uh, C-suite white collar people to you know to people who who work labor jobs, um, but there's something I think that binds them together. Maybe it's work ethic, it's the valuing of authenticity, uh, independence. I think things that they look at the Jack Daniels brand and say that that says something about who they are. That they, you know, doing things right, valuing hard work, uh, are admirable qualities, and it transcends generations and uh, career choices and. Uh, ethnicities and and everything. So you know we've got a, a massive following all over the world. Uh, as I've been able to travel to 41 countries outside the U.S., you know to to go to Brazil and see people just as excited about Jack Daniels as the people who are here making it. Uh, you know, kind of gives you energy to get back in there and you know do your best. You know that people are counting on you. Uh, but you know part of it is we've we've taken our portfolio from three products up to 11. And I think that, you know, Jack Daniels has more to offer um, the the public than we've ever had before. We've tried to be thoughtful and not put too many products out. But, you know, we want there to be something uh, from Jack Daniels that fits, you know, all the occasions of life and reaches most of the the consumers that are out there looking for quality products. So that's that's been a fun thing for me to be here the last 11 years because whiskey is extremely popular right now. Uh, it's been going through this resurgence uh, with people where whiskey cocktails are uh, about as popular as they've ever been. Uh, kind of seeing the same popularity they had back in the 50s and 60s, back in the Mad Men era, uh, where where whiskey was so popular. Why so you just, think you know, it's just awesome happened? though. But but I would tell you, you know, there are very few brands out there that people are so loyal to um, that they will tattoo themselves um, right. with exactly. with your with your brand. Um, you know, there's only a couple of them that I think, you know, kind of have that type of fierce loyalty. And Jack Daniels is probably the, the chief among them. Uh, so that lets you know that, you know, people love love your brand when they're willing to go to that point to say, hey, you know, it's they walk into a bar and they're out of Jack Daniels. They're going to drink water because they're not going to drink anything but but your brand. That makes you yeah. it's kind of humbling. I'm but. one of those guys. Yeah. <laughs> so so you were discussing the, you know, expanding the expanding the the product line i love honey i love fire but i and i just got apple yep what should i expect well you know the honey and fire have both been fantastic products for us Um, a lot of the people who drink honey would tell me that they weren't a jack daniels drinker beforehand or they were a jack daniels drinker but jack daniels didn't always seem to work in every occasion of life like maybe they were going to serve, you know, a drink after dinner with dessert. Um, the honey has been, you know, sort of a, a product that allows them to bridge into that occasion. But if there is one, uh, I would say, common uh, thing that people would say, well, I don't drink flavors, you know, you know, I don't drink the Jack Daniels flavors or anybody else's flavors because, in general, I think they're too sweet. Um, I think apple is our best attempt to this point to kind of get something out there that has a great level of flavor but isn't overly sweet. Um, I'd say it's just sweet enough. And what I love about Apple is I feel like it's somewhat complementary to the other two that we have put out. Some people will take the Tennessee Honey and Tennessee Fire and do a a blending between them. I've heard it called a Red Hot Honey or a Bee Sting. 
Uh, so people come up with funny names for them. But I can easily see that fire and apple are also going to cross together. People going to call it an apple turnover or mom's apple pie or something like that. But definitely cinnamon and apple work well together. Uh, but this is uh, – it's a green apple. It's sort of crisp and, and fresh uh, tasting. Um, I expect it to do very well. Uh, this the initial – interest in orders, uh, the immediate takeaway that we're seeing, because it's only been on the shelves for about a month now, uh, it's been the, one of the strongest product launches in Jack Daniels or uh, our corporate company's history. So Sweet. Uh, yeah, I would say the market was ripe for it. They were, they were ripe for the picking. Uh, and hopefully that when they try the Tennessee Apple, they're going to like it. So I'm a Jack and Coke guy. I'm a, yep. I'm a number seven and Coke guy. How deeply do you judge me that I mix my Jack Daniels with something else? Well, you know, I would tell you that the very first time, you know, I was a Tennessee Squire before I came to work at Jack Daniels, but the very first time I had Jack Daniels was a Jack and Coke. So I certainly make no judgments uh, about that. I think the world, man. Yep. Uh, To me, you know, I've always liked the taste of Coke. I've liked the Coke, the taste of Jack Daniels. And there's a lot of synergies between them. You know, when you put them together, it's like two things that you like, and it's just they elevate one another for sure. So, you know, I'm more of a rocks drinker today or or neat, especially if it's going to be a really nice whiskey. But I will still order a Jack and Coke from time to time. It's very nostalgic for me um, because it's sort of like my my first remembrances uh, of ever trying Jack Daniels was was in that format. And it's um, been around for a long time. It's I think it's still the only cocktail in the top 10 that calls out a brand by name. You know, people will go and order margaritas or gin and tonics or all these different types of cocktails, but you know, when That's people order point. a Jack and when people order a Jack and Coke, they don't mean just give me a bourbon and any cola. They That's mean right. I want you know, I want both of those brands together because there's something magic about them when they uh when they're together. So it, and it's great for us, you know, I think a lot of people view Jack Daniels as an iconic American brand as is Coca-Cola. I've got some friends who work within the Coke brand and a great company. Uh, and it's good that our products, um, you know, can get along in the same glass together uh, as well as they do. Is there any particular story behind the square bottle? Well, there have been several that I've, that I've been told. And one of them was oh. that, you know, of course, Jack Daniels started off selling whiskey like a lot of people back in the 1800s, and that was in a barrel. Um, so it would just be sold that way, and you'd put a – uh, you know, spigot in the end of it and just pour out of it. Um, over time, people would begin to realize that as the barrel would get empty, they would kind of backfill it. There was nothing to prevent uh, people from adulterating the product. Um, so it could be, you know, full barrel strength or it could be some diluted form of it um, based on what the, the bartender or the, you know, the saloon keeper uh, decided to do. So there was more and more a push to get things into bottles where you had labels that had legal statements on it, so you were kind of guaranteed a quality purchase. So, you know what, that was what was driving getting it out of barrels and into bottles uh, with uh, with what I call more consumer uh, protections in place. But you know, before going from from barrels to bottles, there was a period of like ceramic crocks um, that also that you see a lot of times the you know the when they're showing moonshine with you know the three X's on the on the ceramic crock, or you know that what they've got in the uh, in the container there, but 
there is a story here that that Jack Daniel really did not want to go into a bottle. Uh, he felt like it was commoditizing his brand to some degree. Uh, he felt like everybody was going to look the same, and he was opposed to it, and really did not embrace uh, going into a bottle until a, a salesperson showed up here with a square bottle. And that the statement was that you know finally a bottle as unique as the whiskey I make uh, was what he said about the square bottle. So he chose it um, for the Jack Daniels brand, and we're still in a square bottle to this day. You know, it's, it's become an iconic, um, you know, I think, thing that people recognize. You can take the Jack Daniels label off of our bottle, uh, and people can look at it and still say, that's a Jack Daniels bottle. It's just that. I love that. You know, it, I've that, always thought the square to our brand. So but cool. The, the, the other statement was that, you know, there was a, a saying years ago that if somebody was a square dealer, um, that they were an honest, you know, business person, uh, and that was the other statement that they said that Jack Daniels said he wanted it in a square bottle because he was a square dealer. Um, and that was, you know, part of his, his mantra was that at a time that maybe there was a lot of uh, smoke and mirrors going on that people could trust his brand. Um, I'm, I'm going to put my whiskey in a square bottle because I'm a square dealer. Um, you know, all goods are worth price charged. Uh, that was what his nephew put on the case uh, years later. Uh, so that kind of carried over. Jack never had children of his own. He willed the distillery to his nephews, but they kind of carried on in that same uh, path as that we want to reassure people that they can trust our brand. So that leads me to the label. I I won't keep you all day, I promise. This is just fascinating. No, okay. No. So the label is just like classic badass, right? <laughs> what, it, it When I was a kid – and so I've loved Waylon Jennings my whole life, right? Mm-hmm. And Waylon has the famous uh, Fender Telecaster guitar, right? Mm-hmm. And I used to look at the Jack label Daddy, my daddy had, and I'd be like, man, that thing looks like Waylon's guitar. That's badass. <laughs> what is the story behind the label design? I know it ain't Waylon's guitar. What's the story behind the current label design? It's kind of interesting because we have bottles that were produced back in the early 1900s prior to Prohibition. Uh, and many generations of black and white labels on square bottles that go all the way up to today. Uh, it has changed over the years. Um, you know, it's always been a black label. It's always had white lettering. You know, how much content it, it carried. When I, when I first came to Jack Daniels about 20 years ago, uh, there was a lot of stuff on the label. If you looked at the sides, the front, um, there was just, I told somebody, it would take you about five minutes. Um, to read um, the label of Jack Daniels and all the different things that are being communicated on it. So then they they took some of that content off um, a few years ago and, and tried to just clean up the label. So it just certain things stood out a little bit more and it didn't look too busy. But I think we're we're kind of looking at it now and saying, you know, we need to really go back to putting our story back out there on it uh, and giving people something to read. So, uh, you know, it is it has become a... a a distinctive part of uh, of Jack Daniels, uh, but you know it wasn't the first label color, believe it or not. Um, and it well, was, was the first. It wasn't. It was a green label. Um, oh, so the I original, yeah, What's the that? original label in 1904. The label that won uh, the first gold medal for the distillery was a green label. We actually did a retro version of that um, not that long ago, and because a lot of people like to find collectible versions of Jack Daniels, so we've done. Uh, two recent, just over the last year or two, put out a couple of specialty bottles of legacy labels uh, for people to collect. But the black label, our first 
um, documented evidence of it going into the market was in the late night, like it was before 1910. Uh, some people thought that they put a black label on it when Jack Daniel passed in 1911, uh, but we actually have oh. evidence that it was out before that. Uh, so they had two different versions of Jack Daniels. They had green label and black label, but green label outsold black label up until around the 1950s or 60s. You know, when Frank Sinatra held it up on stage and called it the nectar of the gods, this was when our old number seven Tennessee whiskey, the black label version of it, uh, began to take off and it surpassed green label. You can still find green label. Um, actually, in some markets, I want to say maybe a dozen of the U.S. states will still carry it. And it's a. It, it's matured on lower floors of the warehouses. It has shallower soak lines, so it doesn't have as much character of the barrel. It's typically sold at a slight discount uh, to Black Label because we actually net back more of the original whiskey from those barrels, uh, so we don't lose as much to the soakage in the wood and the evaporation year over year, and we pass th those savings on to the consumer. But you know, still, it's still a, a really nice whiskey, but it's just not as flavorful um, as our Black Label whiskey would be. I've probably heard four or five different reasons why it's number seven. Trains, barrels, all kinds of different reasons. Yeah, lucky the number, story? recipe number. You know, I, I, the truth is we really don't know. Um, you know, it was it was Jack who named the brand Old Number Seven. Um, he never actually wrote down or documented why it was called that. I would say his nephews maybe had the best idea of what he meant by it. Uh, it's just within the Motlows. Um, after right after prohibition, they they put a whiskey out from the distillery, and this was in, while they were still in startup mode, uh, if you will, because they're you know in, the state of Tennessee uh, went dry in 1909 when the nation went dry in 1919, so it started ten years sooner here, uh, and then when the nation went wet again in 1933, Tennessee stayed dry until 1938. So prohibition in Tennessee lasted 15 years longer than it did in the rest of the nation. But they came out with a whiskey that was called Lim Motlow, uh, which was the nephew that he willed the distillery to. And on the side label, it says, whiskey made as our fathers had made it for seven generations. And, you know, if you read that Jack Daniels legacy book, uh, Jack Daniels' entire lineage is not included there. Uh, but they do start with his grandparents. And his, his grandfather was an Englishman and his grandmother was Scottish. Uh so his relatives came from an area that had been distilling whiskey for a long time. Uh, he may have known enough about his, you know, great, great, great grandparents to say, hey, I'm the seventh generation uh, whiskey distiller in a long line of them. So he may, have, he may have referred to himself as old number seven. He might have seen himself as the seventh generation distiller of his family, so, which is possible. But, you know, it could be a lucky number, could be a, a recipe number. You know, they said he never married, so this was, you know, basically in honor of his seven girlfriends. But I really don't like that one because no no woman, no matter how old she is, wants to be called old number seven. That's, you know, you just don't do that. It's improper form. If that was the kind of manners that he had, maybe that's why he never got married. <laughs> First time one he referred not, to them as old, they were like, okay, you're gone. You're out of here, Bubba. Yep. Uh, one thing that, that we love to do on, on this show is – is promote and champion and appreciate our military heroes here domestically and all over the world keeping us free. Yep. And you and, and your colleagues there at Jack have an amazing program that I've admired called Operation Ride Home. Explain yep. to the listeners what that is. 
Okay, yeah. When I became master distiller about 11 years ago, we were we were working with the USO and doing a, a, a program that was called the Toast to the Troops, uh, and we were running. You know, we have people going all over the United States to different events, NASCAR events, sporting events. And we were encouraging people as they were passing through to just write a thank you card uh, to to a service man or woman, uh, just anonymously. Uh, We were collecting those up, and then we were doing packet stuffing parties as they were deploying because it was much more common, you know, 10 or 11 years ago, we still had some major deployments going on. So we were putting them in bags with lip balm and prepaid international calling cards, but just, you know, giving... Uh, servicemen and women, something to put in their hands before they boarded a plane and made the long ride over uh, to the Middle East um, to serve. And as deployments became fewer and fewer, we began to talk with people within the military community and say, you know, what are the needs that they have that are not being met? And what we were told is that a lot of people got stuck on base, especially during the holidays. Uh, A lot of times if we weren't actively uh, in some type of you know, it, you know, it's a military fight. Uh, a lot of times they're allowed off uh, for the holidays, but that leaves them stuck on base. Uh, and base is not home for many of the people that are in the military. So when they're not getting combat pay, got to tighten up the budget. Um, so they're having to make choices sometimes between buying their kids presents or traveling home and letting them see, you know, their parents, grandparents and everyone. So... We started the program, I think it's now eight, seven, eight years ago. Uh, it's called Operation Ride Home. Uh, we gave $101,000 that year to the 101st Airborne uh, at Fort Campbell. So it was just to that particular base, the closest one to us. And it went very well. Uh, it, it, it provided airline tickets, prepaid gas cards for junior enlisted servicemen and women to get home. Uh, and we did it through the Armed Services YMCA, and they work directly with families, so they already understand who has the, the greatest economic need. So, you know, the, the money goes to the most deserving and the most needing uh, of the families that are there. And then after that first year, it was like what we heard back from the, the, the Armed Services YMCA is that not only does Fort Campbell have that type of need, but it's, it's nationwide. Uh, that we need to be able to do that. So uh, we've expanded the program to to other bases. I think now every branch of service has been touched. I think 48 of the 50 states have been traveled to uh, by junior enlisted servicemen and women. Thousands have been able to make it home on the program. And uh, it's something that we've been honored to do. I, I was able to go to Oklahoma City and uh, meet an airman there who had been deployed, I think, two or three times had just gotten back and um, just a a great young family, uh, but, you know, limited financial uh, means um, to get home. And we flew his family in to to greet him and then sent him home uh, for the holidays. And it was great, but it includes things other than just tell you. Yeah. What, excuse me. What did seeing that moment tell you about the initiative and the need for it? Uh, You know, I would tell you this. Um, as the master distiller of Jack Daniels, I've had many proud moments um, where, you know, I'm like, this is a really, this is a good company. This is a great brand. You know, how how humbled and how um, blessed that you feel uh, to be with a company that, you know, kind of puts its money where its mouth is and does some great things for people. But it's probably none prouder uh, than that evening and, and watching all of that to, to have participated in that. Um, and and getting that family together, uh, giving them a moment um, to 
you know, just for a reunion uh, there in a surprise way, but also to know that he was going to have the opportunity to be at home. He had a young daughter, um, had not been able to see their grandparents very often, and it was all going to happen. And I was just, you know, just felt to myself, you know, this is a great company, Jack Daniels is, and um, and I'm very honored to kind of stand under that banner uh, and to be a face and a voice uh, for it to the world. Uh, but it was, it was a great moment. Well, you're a good one, brother. And, man, I, I I have 30 more questions. We'll have to do a round two someday. <laughs> but I learned so much, and, and I appreciate your passion for it and, and your leadership of it. And trust me, I'm a fan. So thank you for your time so yeah. much. And I'm going to get down there to Lynchburg soon, all right? Please do. Please do. You know, it's finally become fall, so the leaves are starting to change. We've got our big international barbecue going down this weekend, so we'll have ten or 15,000 people come in and awesome. 15, 20 teams that have come internationally uh, to compete to be the best of barbecue. It's always a fun time to be here. Fourth Saturday in October, so maybe you can come down and judge it one, one weekend. Shoot, yeah, I'll come judge it. If I'm not, I'll be in, I can't come <laughs> like this barbecue, weekend. I'll, right? be in Baton, I'll be in Baton Rouge, Louisiana with the Tigers, all the Tigers, okay. but I uh, I appreciate you, man. Have an amazing yeah. day, amazing week, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. That awesome interview with Jeff was brought to you guys by ZipRecruiter. And, man, hiring can be a slow process. Cafe Altura's COO, Dylan Miskowitz, he needed a director of coffee, and he was really struggling to find qualified applicants, so he went to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience, and it invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter, and he was so impressed with how quickly he had candidates in the first day. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. That's how Dylan found his new director of coffee, and again, it only took a couple days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter have a quality candidate within the very first day. See why ZipRecruiter is so effective for businesses of every size. Try ZipRecruiter for free, $0.00. That is a trend here on Marty Smith's America at this web address. ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash M-A-R-T-Y. ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Man, that interview was cool, Travis. I've read a bunch of pieces about Jeff in the past, and, of course, I'm a Jack guy. Everybody knows that about me. I am a Jack guy. I've been a Jack guy. And I, I told the story there about my grandfather, James Massey, and the Reverend, and I meant it. Uh, it's in my book. It's in Never Settle. And I've never gone back to like Ancestry.com or whatever and researched all of that. But I can tell you, my grandfather would not tell that story. There's no reason. He never lied to me. There's no reason he'd lie to me about whiskey. I promise you that. And he was so proud of that. My great-great-grandfather, Dan Call, was a preacher man and a general store owner in Middle Tennessee, way back when, and there came a moment where he was conflicted. Should he maintain the store and the whiskey, or should he follow the faith? He chose the church and thereby offered the distillery to this orphan he'd taken in named Jack Daniel. And it's funny, I've told my friends that story for years, and 
they all think I'm full of it and that I'm lying and ain't no way. Well, all I can tell you is my grandfather told me that story and it's in it. Everything that he said is in writing. So at some point I'm going to go to ancestry.com and I'm going to go confirm it, but I know it's true anyway. I don't need to go confirm it. I know it's true. I'm just fascinated. You know, I knew some of the stuff, but just to listen to him talk, I, like we could have kept going, but if we kept him any longer, that could put Jack Daniels liquor in jeopardy and then our fans <laughs> can be mad at us. And that's the last <laughs> thing we need. Very good point. We could, we could have another, another one of those whiskey shortages. Thanks to Sinatra. How about that guy? Yeah. Eric needs to step his game up and see if he's not, he needs to create a, see if he can create a shortage. I mean, Sinatra did it. Why can't Eric do it? I can promise you this. There's a shortage at the end of every show. There's no doubt about that. My blood alcohol content at the end of every one of those shows would peg the meter. I, you know, I knew that Sinatra had quite an influence on the brand. I was ignorant as to the fact that it was that dramatic. So Jack produces a special edition whiskey called Sinatra Select. I have a bottle of it downstairs. I only have it every now and then on very special occasions because it'll knock you hiney in the dirt now. And, it's basically a tribute to him. And they have these special barrels that they use only for that that type of Jack. And it's just incredibly smooth. It tastes really vanilla-ish. And I love how it tastes. I had to ask Jeff, Travis, if I was a total pansy for mixing, whipping my Jack Daniels up in some Coke. I think a Jack and Coke is classic enough where it's okay. Like if you're like, hey, Jeff, like I, so I, you know, I, I do three limes and I do this and I do that. Then we're getting to territory, but a straight Jack and Coke, I think is respectable. That's just a classic drink. I liked you bring up the bottle though, cause there is just something about that bottle. Like you said, take the label off and you still know what's in it. I've always thought it was so cool. Just the presentation of old number seven is iconic to me. The way the bottle looks, the shape of the bottle. It's the coolest label ever. In fact, how about this? So, I, all of my suits come from uh, a custom suit tailor named uh, Alton Lane. And I asked them, I'm going to the CMAs, and I wanted to wear something cool and unique. And we developed this entire line of suits for me this fall while I'm hosting SEC Nation. And I we sat down, and we did this entire like meeting about things that inspire me. And I had this idea that I wanted kind of a numerology idea. I did a, uh, I did a, uh, a suit based off the number three. I did a suit based off the number five. I did a suit based off the number nine, of course. And I did a suit slash tux based off the number seven. And the reason is because of the Jack Daniels number seven label. I love that label. It's the coolest label. And I wanted my tux to be inspired by the Jack label. And the jacket that they sent me that I'm wearing to the CMAs, it is, it is sick. It's like this black camouflage. It's black and gray, faint camouflage in this shimmery kind of material with a, with a velvet, I guess it is. No, that's not probably the right. It's a, it's a, the, the lapel is jet black and it's all based on my adoration for the Jack Daniels label. And inside 
of the jacket, they have stitched old number seven. It's the coolest jacket ever. I can't wait for y'all to see it. Alton Lane needs to make this jacket available for the masses. Well, we want to. And once I wear it and whatnot, if people want it, they can go get it at Alton Lane. And, uh, well, you got to order it, obviously. I mean, everything they do is custom. But it's super cool, man. And, like, the other the other suits are cool. I don't want to get off on this tangent now, maybe some other time. But I have the, the one of the suits that I did is the, the one that's inspired by the number three. I wore two weeks ago when we were in Athens, Georgia. It's green. It's this army green kind of color. And it's based off of the fact that my grandfather was in Patton's third army. And it's just the coolest damn suit, man. Everybody, everybody commenting on it. My, so, fav- my favorite is instead of a pocket square, it looks more like a bandana. Yep. I have a bandana one and that's because of my high school. The suit I have that's based off the number nine. Uh, I, that was my high school football number. Y'all know that. And I, the bandana is our battle flag at my high school. We're the Bandana Express. And so I wear a, a bandana pocket square with with that suit and, and a couple of others. I love that offset bandana with a blue suit. But uh, what an just amazing conversation. I, I've always wanted to talk to Jeff and in-depth like that. I've I've been around him a couple times, but I've never – had the opportunity to really dive in with him. Like I was at the NBA All-Star game last year doing a story, actually. We were doing a big piece, and I had just got done doing some interviews with some different people, and the people at Jack Daniels invited me up to their booth, up to their uh, suite, I mean, at the Spectrum Center in Charlotte. And Jeff was in there and uh, had a couple – I had a couple pops that night. Have you ever been to. to the distillery? Never been, man. Never been. I'm – uh we're trying to put together an event and we'll see how this, this unfolds, but I want to do an event over there. If I can, like a storytellers type of thing, I'm talking to them about it now. And the people that I want in my storytellers thing at Jack are Jeff, Clint Boyer and Jimmy Johnson, the NASCAR drivers, and maybe an artist, whether that's chief or I know they have a relationship with, uh, with chase and so who knows that's who, what who, i like who, about who. is the relationships are organic like you said they're not like force it's just hey i like jack daniels let's you know have a handshake agreement kind of deal yeah oh yeah and everyone that's involved in their company and has that type of relationship understands that like you do it because you love it i mean it's it's authentic to who you are and that's why uh one of the many reasons why that brand is so awesome is its authenticity. I think Jeff even said that in the in the interview that peop a lot of people appreciate the Jack brand because it's authentic and it's not changed. They haven't chased fads and they they, they are what they are. I'm gonna ha- we're gonna have to do a round two. Maybe it'll be at storytellers, man. We'll Maybe have me a, and you will fly we'll to Lynchburg. We told people that we had a couple good ones and we didn't tell them who they were, and so this was one. We're not going to tell you who the second one is yet. It's a, but it's, it's a freaking great one, man. This might be our best ever back to back, uh, pot ever. And and I I will tell you this: I have gotten some feedback in the last couple of weeks that people missed the interviews. 
They're still here. And they're, they're coming. They're still here, and and we're we're doing them every now and then because I love them too, and I've missed the opportunity to learn from these people. And I learned so much today about the. I, I'm I've read a lot about Jack Daniels and its history because of you know kind of what we stated a moment ago with my family and kind of where we we fit in that. But I learned so much about the process and Jeff's job and being such an amazing ambassador for it and how there's like a whiskey revolution right now, a renaissance of, of, of whiskey that he said is akin to the fifties, which is cool. And I can see why. So thanks so much to Jeff for his time. Great job, Travis getting him and, and thanks to Greg Lears and everybody at Jack who, who were so open when we kind of reached out and broached the opportunity to interview Jeff. And, uh, man, I filled up my tank, filled up my tank. And I'll tell y'all something, and this is an important message here. Two out of three guys are going to experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35. Travis is not one of them, so and if, I'm not yeah, one if of you're them. Hanging, if there's two of you, people hanging out with me or Marty, guess what? You're the yep, two. Y'all are going bald, man. Guess what the good news is, though? With today's advancements in science, Keeps offers proven treatments that can combat the symptoms of hair loss. Keeps has revolutionized the way men are treated for hair loss. You used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription, be embarrassed, be mortified, not anymore. Because of Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get medication delivered straight to your home. No more waiting rooms, no more pharmacy checkout lines. Get doctor attention and discreet drug delivery all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. Prevention's key. Keeps treatments really work. They're up to 90% effective at reducing and stopping further hair loss. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save, so act right now. Many men have even experienced hair regrowth as a result of Keeps treatments. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Marty and receive your first month of treatment for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash M-A-R-T-Y. In 24 hours, Marty, we'll be seeing each other actually because of this. Can't next wait, man. Uh, should we tell them the city that we're going to be in? No, they might okay. find out if they, if one of us posts something, but I don't, I, I don't know. Should we tell them the city? I think we should tell them the city because that'll at least give some sort of hint yeah. about where kind of what we're doing. We're going to Nashville, Tennessee, and we're going to, we're going to conduct an interview in Nashville. And I'll just leave it right there because let me tell you, y'all are going to be pumped about this one. I'm giddy. I oh. can't wait to get there, and I can't wait to chat with this person because it's someone that has had a tremendous impact on my life and I can't wait to chat with him. I'm stoked because I yeah, I've hunted down I feel like some big names that we've had and this one is right there at the top. Oh, big time, dude. Big time. You're the man. That's a big time pull. All right, so I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it so much. Make sure that you check out Sarah Spain. That's what she said. That's a great podcast. She has awesome guests too. Mina Kimes podcast is taking over the whole world. So make sure you check out Mina's and she's thank also you got, so much. She's also got the daily going on too to check out. Yep. Just started that today. The daily started today and uh, congratulations to her all, on all her success and make sure y'all check out her podcast. Sarah's as well. And oh, thank you to Dan about and everybody. Stu, quickly about Stu Gotts. I have to tell us 
last week they were up here on campus and on Friday I came in to do some work and Lorenzo, the TV producer, says that Stugatz lost his keys. So I try to help out Stugatz and help Lorenzo and walk around campus looking for him. Spent about 30 minutes looking for his keys, only to come back and find out his keys were in his damn shoes. <laughs> oh, the gots. Yeah. He's a one of a kind. Yeah. He is. Uh, I mean, look, he ain't making it up, dude. It's all real. No, Every it is 100% real. God bless him. Uh, thank you so much for listening, everybody. We appreciate all of you who are first responders, firemen, police force. Thank you so much to our law enforcement officials who are keeping these communities safe, putting yourselves in harm's way. You're appreciated. Really appreciate our military. As we say every week, we are free and what an amazing blessing. And that's because of our men and women in uniform all over the world working every day and sacrificing so that we can live in the best nation on the planet. Appreciate y'all listening. Be good. That's Marty Smith's America, old number seven.